0: Church, let us pray. And God, as we approach your heavenly throne, full of grace and mercy, God, allow us to rest in that. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us this past week, the protection that you've put over us, the wisdom that you've given us. God, as you speak today through your word, use me as a vessel. Allow me to become less so that you could become more. Lord, we lift up all the needs within our congregation, whether it's health, financial, and everything in between. And of course, we put that at your throne, at the foot of your cross for you to do what you desire with it. Lord, your will be done, not ours, on earth, as it is in heaven. God, give us this day our daily bread. God, use this message to to glorify your name and your name alone. And continue to give us the boldness to live it out as truth. Your true and living word, one that doesn't wither or fade and God of course we continue to pray fervently for the peace of Israel God give their leaders wisdom and God show your face as you so often do in the midst of every circumstance even war for your glory and God we ultimately say that we love you we thank you, and it's in your Son Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Katie. Hey, thank you all so much for for Pastor the the the, the cards and and everything that you sent for Pastor's appreciation, and I know on behalf of our staff as well, it really means a lot. Uh, just being here a little over a month, we we feel the love big time, um, and we're we're so grateful that the Lord has brought us here, and we're thankful for your. Your encouraging words and and uh, your prayers and, and that, that has made this transition uh, possible. So so really thank you all so much uh, for for all that you have done. Uh, also I want I want to I really do want to make a plug for our connection class that's taking place today. It'll be right after service 11:30. Hopefully no longer than uh, one hour. I'm going to be joined by my good friends Rob and uh, Austin. Can you guys raise your hand if you're Rob's back there? Austin was Around here somewhere, everyone say hi, Robin Austin. Yeah. Hi, Robin Austin. Yeah. If you guys are free and you want to learn more about the church and what it means to get plugged in here uh, and to become a member potentially, please hang around. You don't need to sign anything. Just come to 11 at 11:30. We'll be hanging out in the back. There's coffee and donuts, all that good stuff. All right. We're gonna dive right into God's Word this morning. First Peter 1. As we navigate through this letter, First Peter 1, I'll be using the ESV Bible, there's Bibles in front, in the back of your seats, First Peter 1, we're going to spend the upcoming weeks, just, just to give you a little oversight of where we're going, we're going to spend the upcoming weeks journeying through First Peter, this letter, uh, we're going to take a break for, for the Advent season, uh, which is going to take place, of course, in December. And then we're going to kick off the new year with what we're going to call a vision service, where we're going to explain where we feel the Lord is bringing Hope Community Church in the years to come. Please try to get there. I know that, you know, uh, the new year means the New Year's resolutions, and everyone's going to try to get to church every week, right? So it's the 7th. Everyone's going to be there, all hands on deck. Uh, So please, then we're going to get right back into 1 Peter uh, following that. And, And next year is going to be incredible with, with what God is going to do here. So uh, that's the heart behind it. I'll explain why uh, we're going to go through 1 Peter um, as we go through uh, this morning's message. So First Peter chapter 1. Let's take a look at verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, give me some grace here, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now. Notice how Peter wrote this book not to a church or a specific town like he did, like we see so much throughout the New Testament, but he, rather, he wrote this to a group that he calls elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Elect exiles of the dispersion. This is because the Christians that were currently in this area, they were not actually here for church. They were here because they were in exile. They were hiding from persecution from the government. Or at the time, King Nero. Now within just a few years, If you don't know who King Nero is, we'll get get to that in just a minute, but within just a few years prior to Peter penning this letter, believers that were formerly considered to be under the Judaism sect broke off because of the resurrection of Christ. The Apostle Paul had already gone before this letter and testified of this new religion of Christianity to the Roman government, and he was officially kicked off of the church. this, This officially kicked off the church. The government hated this. They absolutely hated this. No longer were the believers under the law, but they were now under grace. They were, obligated to serve the, they were not obligated to serve the government, but rather serve Christ. And with a man like King Nero in charge, he wanted submission, he wanted power, and all control over every person in the empire. But Christians knew that though they were to submit to the governmental authority, they were not to bow down to it. My friend, does this sound familiar? When the leader of a nation begins to demand how you are to live, what you are to do, and whom you are to serve or who not to serve, your red flag should be popping up all over the place. There's never been a time throughout history where this has not led to persecution of those who are not willing to submit. This can look, this can come across a couple different ways. It could be very aggressive and intense, or it could be very slow and passive Aggressive in the arena of you can't pray in school, or you must remove the Ten Commandments from the property of your public building, or it becomes more passive like you must support the LGBTQ agenda if you want to continue to receive your tax benefits, or if you are not willing to counsel and affirm those that are transitioning genders, then the state will legally remove your licensing. My friend, just because it's passive doesn't mean that it's innocent. They'll use words like, we need to be all-inclusive, or we don't want to offend anybody, but what they really mean is, we only want to be inclusive as long as you're abiding by our agenda, or we don't want to offend anybody unless what you believe offends somebody. This is so dangerous. King Nero hated Christians because he ultimately hated not only the fact that he had to submit to a greater authority, but also because this submission required morality. And only an ungodly leader despises godly morals, whether they make it clear or passive. Directly or passively. You could tell, let me listen to this, you could tell a leader by the fruit that they bear. I'm going to say that again. You could tell a leader by the fruit that they bear. You're saying, Ryan, you're being passive. (laughs) Well, here we go. The United States is not far off from the times that this letter was written. There are so many issues taking place at our doorstep that if we don't see it, we're either in denial or we're ignorant. And that's why I want us to dive deep into what Peter is writing here in the months that lie ahead. Peter's reminding the persecuted Christians that we must prepare for persecution and to be uncomfortable. Maybe I shouldn't go here. Maybe. I sh- okay. I was gonna anyway. <laughs> This twisted, godless, and perverted administration that is currently in control of our country is seeking to tear it apart from the inside out, and it's coming in the form of inclusivity. I said it. Is our live stream working? Racism is at an all-time high. Mental health is absolutely shattered among the people. The youth are questioning the purpose behind their very existence, yet the president stands there with a smile on his face promoting unity. Today, unity is only invited if the agenda is followed. And really, that's not unity at all. That's called communism. You know who was a communist? Pharaoh. And God despised his leadership. King Nebuchadnezzar. And God humbled him. Adolf Hitler. Kim Jong-un. I'll stop there. Now just be careful because we're starting to see this sort of leadership under the name of socialism. But Peter wants to remind the Christians that That though these leaders and governmental authorities are in place, we must remain obedient and focused on the glory of God that is found through the sprinkling of blood through Jesus Christ. He writes that though you are scattered and persecuted because of this living hope that we have in Jesus, it's going to be so worth it from an eternal perspective. Let's keep moving. Our first point for this morning, God's mercy is the sustenance of our hope. God's mercy is the sustenance of our hope. Peter is reminding those in exile that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there is so much waiting for them in heaven. Yes, their, their freedoms are going to be stripped. Yes, their, their physical belongings might be taken away. Yes, the very beliefs and convictions that we may have been, been stepped on, walked over, and kicked to the side, but Peter is saying, do not lose hope. It's going to be so worth it. God has shown us a, a great mercy and allowed us as believers to be born again, to live a new life, free from the, the burdens of the world, one that doesn't depend on our material possessions or or even the very flesh that we have, but rather that our soul is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Lamentations 3 says this, Through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. My friend, we have a living hope because we serve a living Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And because we have a living Savior, we have an eternal inheritance. I love Peter's way of, of describing the, the inheritance that we're to receive because of the living hope that we have. This, this inheritance, he says, is one that will not perish. It will not be defiled. And it will never fade away. We're, we're neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. This inheritance is, is one that can't be taken away. It can't be stolen, diminished, taxed, or bought. It has already been paid for and freely given to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a result of nothing but the mercy of Christ. God's mercy is the sustenance of our hope. God's mercy is the sustenance of our hope. Verses 6 through 12. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testigenous of your, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Things in which angels long to look. Point number two, God's grace is the motivation in trials. God's grace is our motivation in trials. Peter is is looking at the situation that the believers are currently undergoing, this persecution. and, And then he's reminding them, don't forget, your faith can't be touched or taken away. He wants to both equip and encourage the believers to maintain a posture of joy as the persecution continues and worsens. Only a Christian can have that posture. What a timely letter for the church today. All across the globe, we are seeing persecution towards Christians at an alarming rate, some crook, some countries of course much worse than others but what is alarming is that there are many countries on the verge of persecution but doing nothing to prepare for it i believe that this is the result of the wrong perspective on what persecution is you know there's a common misconception and, I, and I was, it was put late on my heart last night to, to go here this morning with this. I, it was late at night, and I'm like, Lord, I don't want to change my message. I don't want to. But he said, no, we've got to go here. And there's this common misconception that is, that is circulating amongst churches and Christians today, and it becomes more and more prevalent, of course, when, when election season rolls around. And, and it's called this, Christian Nationalism. Christian nationalism. Now, if you're not familiar with what Christian nationalism is, you've certainly seen it on TV. You've, you've heard about it in social media and your newspaper. It's, it's really another way to point fingers at the Christian and, and cast blame for any issue that arises in our nation. But Christian nationalism is relatively hard to define, but, but the best definition that I found is this. Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Now, I'm not one to label myself, but I know my history. And I know that the reason that the United States was founded was because the the founding fathers wanted freedom of religion. So much so that they left where they were at, traveled across the sea, because they wanted to worship God without persecution. And not long after that, they landed in, the, they landed in America, what is now known as the U.S., and, and they formed this, this Constitution, and, and they based it off the Bible. And, and now you, there's this argument of that, that's not biblical, that the Constitution is not based off the Bible, but, but the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association said it very well. They wrote it like this. The American Declaration of Independence and Constitution are based on God's Word, without it, there would be no United States. Now, because they held so tightly to their faith, to the point where they left their homeland because they wanted to hold on to it, God blessed them. And and he blessed them with wisdom, with resources, and and with power. Now, I'm an advocate not not for our country because I'm a patriot or, or because I'm into politics, but because we're still standing on that blessing. The blessing that was given hundreds of years ago, where we have the freedom to worship God, and we have the resources and responsibility to protect those who can't, to provide peace in hostile areas, to feed the orphan, to love the widow, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, if this love for our country because of the peace that we're able to provide to the world gets Christians labeled for hate crime, then so be it. Many believe that, that one day down the road, governmental, governmental authorities are going to go door to door, knocking on the doors and, and arresting Christians, putting them in prison for life, and then, and then they're going to be left there to die. But don't get me wrong, th- th- this, that may be the case someday down the road, and, and even is the case for so many, but, but often this doesn't happen overnight. First, it begins with the governmental leaders giving an agenda that is, that is very godly, ungodly, and perverted. Then it becomes a power move where, where these leaders force you to abide by their agenda under this phrase, all-inclusive. As it continues to evolve, you then see specific groups of people being told that they can only say or believe things, and if they don't, there will be fines and lawsuits. This then forces them into submission or bearing the consequences. And then comes the censorship and arrests and all-out war for the freedoms that we once took for granted because we lived in denial. This is why we must not always be grateful. We must always be grateful, but always be alert to make a defense for the freedoms and the faith that we have. He describes these trials, Peter does, as lasting a little while. Now, this time frame, it, it may not necessarily be a little while in human terms. If you were to ask me how long a little while is, and I'm sure you would agree, because I sure hope that this is always the case, a little while would be a day, a couple days, maybe maybe a week. But 2 Peter 3.8 says this, With the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Yes, there, there can be trials that literally last a lifetime. But in the eyes of God, even a lifetime is like the blink of an eye. In other words, any trial that we are to face is only temporary because our time on earth is only temporary. We have this inheritance waiting for us, and that inheritance is eternal. God's grace is the motivation in our trials. God's grace is the motivation in our trials. Let's finish it out, 13 through 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But hear this, church, the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. God's goodness is the catalyst for our holiness. God's goodness is the catalyst for our holiness. So we got God's mercy is the sustenance of our hope. God's grace is the motivation in trials. And God's goodness is the catalyst for our holiness. So Peter He confronts this liberal, progressive gospel head-on. By no means should we as Christians continue in the life that we lived prior to putting our faith and trust in Christ. Now, yes, this is a process. We serve a God that walks with us through this sanctification, but sanctification means that we need to become more like him, not tailor God's word and attributes to become more like us. I'm going to say that again. We need to become more like him, not tailor his word to affirm our lives. He says, don't be conformed to the patterns of your former ignorance, that's sanctification. Or you need to give up your worldly passions, your old ways, and become like Christ. Of course, this doesn't happen Immediately. As one walks with the Lord, they begin to notice their thoughts and their minds begin to change. It's a beautiful thing. Their motives are no longer for self-prosperity or ego, but for glorifying Christ. This impacts every decision and every motivation you have. You can't be half Christian. It's an all-or-nothing decision. You must count the cost. Now, Peter took the first half of this chapter to begin talking about the importance of our hope in the midst of not just our trials, but but our life in general. But now he transitions to the importance of holiness in the Christian life. Now, of course, he doesn't, Peter does not say here, you must be perfect for I am perfect. But rather, he says, you must be holy. Holiness rests on the shoulders of the one who is holy. The reason that that Christians, that that followers of Christ, are are able to be considered holy is not because of their perfection, but rather their faith in the one who is perfect. His sacrifice on the cross has wiped all sin away. We've all heard it before. I know I'm not perfect, but God doesn't expect me to be. Yeah, that might be right, but He also said in His word that if you love Him, you'll keep His commandments. Peter says that the trials are here and, and there, and there are many more to come. This persecution is here, and, and it's not going to stop. But do not let this deter you from your obedience and allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. If you're with me, say amen. Come on. Now, obedience is is so often valued. Hear me on this. Obedience is so often valued above our salvation. I say this and one side agrees and the other is like, well, they should go hand in hand. From the minute that we begin to put value on our obedience over salvation is the minute that we become a legalist. No part of salvation requires obedience at all. If we were to say that our obedience is essential in becoming saved, we're to saying that our salvation is in part by our doing. But the truth is this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, obedience is not how we achieve salvation, it's the result of it. When we truly come to the realization that God sent his son as a ransom for our sins, then we become obedient. And more and more obedient every day as we walk with him. Obedience is an overflow of our salvation. Body Bachman says it like this, the gospel produces obedience in us, and when we get these things mixed up, that's when we become legalists. Peter is saying, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. The grace that will allow us to stand up to any persecution and opposition. The grace that will point others to him because the world is watching The grace that our very faith is based on, and that it stands on, and that it's built on, and that we live on, the very grace that saves you and saved me. Let's go before him. So God, we do thank you for the grace that you have shown to us. Those that have followed you know exactly what that is. Your word makes it clear. And God, for the soul that's here that's wondering what that means, what that looks like, help them to understand that it's only found in you. That it's free. That it produces joy. And that in the midst of any any persecution and opposition that comes our way, Lord, standing on your grace is what really keeps us standing. So God, we say collectively that we love you. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth to die on the cross for our sins and not just dying, rising again, so that through faith in him, we can have eternal life. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.